influencing the nervous system is where it's at. And that is a direction for both performance and for rehab that the world is starting to look at. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for face-to-face learning, network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, leading sports physiotherapist Victor Popoff discusses functional neurology, heat exp- exposure and breathing, making rehab exercises as much of a habit as brushing your teeth, and the simple power of a cold shower with the Fitness Industry Podcast's Alicia Smith. Victor Popov, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. So you're one of Australia's leading sports physiotherapists and you've worked with you know all kinds of Olympians and leading sports teams. How do the injuries that you see with that type of population differ to the type of injuries that personal trainers would typically see in general population clients? The elite athlete, which is where I've spent most of my time in a professional sense working, has injuries related to a greater intensity or a greater volume of training than your average person. But the principle is the injuries are the same. So whether it's happened because you've run too far in training for your first marathon, whether it's your 10th marathon, you're injured, it doesn't matter. The injury process is the same and the injury type is the same. You're just managing it in a different context. Someone with a basic requirement of just getting healthy versus someone who's trying to win a gold medal or someone who's being paid a million dollars a year to be a football player versus someone who's playing in a club competition. So the injuries are different. The context in which you manage them and the ability of the client or the patient to actually execute what you need. If they're a professional athlete, they'll do it every day because they're paid to. If they're someone who's not, then it's about getting them to do enough to get better. And so time frames and, and exposure times and things like that change. So for clients, I think that motivation point is pretty important for the, you know, the general population client. How do you motivate them to do enough if they get to the point where they're no longer in pain? Because pain is obviously a pretty good motivator to do your homework. But when pain doesn't exist anymore or whether, you know, when their performance doesn't really count on it, how do you motivate people or get them to actually adhere to, to what you're asking them to do? Part of the motivation is education. Make them understand what their problem is and how that problem's going to come back unless they and I use the term brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. You yeah. brush your teeth to prevent tooth decay. When does it, you do your back exercises to prevent your back pain coming back. That's engaging the client and having them understand what their problem is, what the cause of their problem is, but also not burdening them with 10 exercises. I have this thing, if I give people four things to do, that's it. And I'll change that. If I give them something else to advance, I'll drop one of the others. So four to five things to give them, keep it simple and educate them and contextualize their problem. Saying it's just like brushing your teeth. If you don't want to have sore back, you know, do your exercises. Do your homework. <laughs> it's that simple. So it's getting them to trust you, making them think you understand their problem and you have empathy for them. But at the same time, one of the lines I use with people is, look, you're paying me money for it, my advice. Whether you take it or not is your option. 
So I almost put it back to them saying, it's your call. I'm not going to lose any sleep if you're back and still sore next week. You are. I'll help you. Yeah, they'll be back to see you anyway, right? Exactly. (laughs) So you mentioned that then the types of injuries that you see between elite athletes and everyday population aren't necessarily significantly different. What are the most common types of injuries that are presenting in your clinic? Most commercial or sports-based physio clinics see a large degree of back injury. Then you have a class of overuse injury like Achilles tendon, patella tendon, shoulder tendinopathies then you'll have your traumatic injuries from football and other sort of sports and falls. So there is no – it's seasonal almost. Come football season, you see different things. You know, in the summer, you see different things leading up to a major event in your area. So I remember when I was in Brisbane, whenever the Noosa try would happen, I'd have a bunch of triathletes coming in a month out. Whenever the Gold Coast Marathon was on, I'd have a bunch of marathon runs coming in a month out. So people generally overtrain leading into a specific event, and so you get a, a variation injury presentation. In general sports practice, I think spinal injuries and and back pain is just common because 80% of the population has some back pain as a stat. But after that, it's depending on what your population base is that you look after. And do you have a particular type of injury or perhaps area of the body that you enjoy treating? Like is there something that gets you excited if someone presents with a particular condition or injury? Lately in my practice, I've moved towards a different understanding of how to manage things and I look at nervous system function as a a key element in everyone's injury patterns so i've got a different perspective now i was shoulders was my thing i was lecturing in how to manage shoulders back in the 80s so i have a lot of experience working with swimming i have a lot of experience working with cycling and afl so the three sports i've worked most with i'm now at the gold coast i see a few surfers so i see different population bases i don't I get excited about understanding more now why people get injured and what they can do to help themselves and what the mechanisms of that are. I get excited about someone who actually the penny drops and says, well, I've had this injury five times. It's like, well, this is why. So I don't get excited specifically about an injury, but more about engaging the client in understanding and and managing their injury well with a good outcome that's based on understanding the nervous system as the the king of all these problems. So let's talk more about that because I feel like not just in the area of physiotherapy, but even in, you know, understanding soft tissue work and training clients and fear, all of these types of things, we're really seeing a focus on the nervous system popping up. So what is the angle or what's kind of the concept around how you're taking your understanding of the nervous system interaction with injury prevention management with your clients? I've been fortunate to work with some really good athletes and really good teams over my career, which started in 85, probably before you were born. (laughs) But what I found was about 10 years ago, I started asking the question, you know, why is what I do successful and why when I didn't succeed with a client, what was the gap? And I'm not a conventional practitioner by any means, so I'm seen as a bit of a cowboy and, and I've got a Russian heritage and Russians will do something and use it because it works, then work out later. Western medicine's about showing me a double-blind study that proves it's effective. I hate the term evidence-based practice, and that's fundamental within my profession. And I hate the way that people use it rather than the fact that there should be evidence to practice. There should be, but you can find the evidence later if something's working. Mm, Practice-based evidence, right? (laughs) Yeah, don't dismiss it because there isn't a double-blind study, and and that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) But what I found was what I was seeing was my effective treatments, my effective athletes and teams and all those successes were really based on engaging someone effectively and knowing that the nervous system thread kept coming up. I worked with some great coaches like Scott Volkers and Lee Matthews and Gennady Turetsky and Gennady was a sports scientist and Heiko Solzwil, he's German, 
cycling coach, best cycling coach in the world. All these guys, when you broke down what they were doing, they were really influencing not just the physiology of the client or the athlete. They were influencing their nervous system. Whether they were doing it deliberately or intuitively, it didn't matter. And I just kept looking and going, well, the nervous system is where it's all at. And when you start researching the central nervous system and the autonomic nervous system and the enteric nervous system, which you shouldn't forget, you realize how influential they are on the body. In fact, physiology in Australia has hijacked sports performance. And I, I make that statement to a few people and they laugh at me. It's like, it's all about physiology. No, it's not. The physiological system is subservient to the central nervous system. So if you're not dealing with the central nervous system, you're not dealing with the problem. The funny thing about that is practices like yoga and Ayurvedic medicine and meditation are all central nervous system interventions. And so these things done in conjunction with more conventional treatment create, the term's a bit trite, but a more holistic approach to management. And I've set up a organization or a website called Neural Engagement Therapy and Training, NETT. And that'll evolve a community of practitioners. I don't care if you're physio, osteo, chiro, yoga instructor, that learn to understand that influencing the nervous system is where it's at. And that is a direction for both performance and for rehab that the world is starting to look at mm. because it's understanding the, f- the power of techniques that influence the nervous system that helps you understand how to be a practitioner. And there are now, I guess, practices like functional neurology, which was a guy called Carrick in the States started this practice. And there's Eric Cobbin Z Health. And there are a few commercial things popping up whose who's t- total focus is on nervous system function. And so I'm, my goal is to integrate that information into a more conventional practice setting. How you talk about pain with people, how you talk about how people should approach a training session, what their recovery should be like, what the use of things like cold and heat and altitude actually does rather than what conventionally the thoughts are about those things. And so that's where my understanding evolved from a research into my successes and failures. And I work with some really good people like Leo Young from Synergy Fitness and Paul Michael and Grant Hayes from uh, Be First. And, and these, these names are worth looking at. You know, Grant has this amazing way of looking at sports performance through an app he calls Be First. And it's just so revolutionary, a revolutionary. But you can take elements of that and integrate it into normal practice. So if there's, you know, for a lot of the trainers that are out there listening to this, they might sort of be thinking, oh, that's a really big concept. Where would they start? If let's say that Joe personal trainers out there listening to this and he knows he needs to understand more about the nervous system, where do you recommend that he would start? Well, this sounds like a sales pitch, but that's why we started the NETT, Neural Engagement Therapy and Training website, as a focal point for providing some coherent information. We then refer to people like Wim Hof, who's this mad Dutchman who does some crazy stuff with cold and breathing, but that's ridiculously effective. We talk about Nam Baldwin, who's Australian Surfing's High Performance Director running Breathing Enhanced Training. We talk about Wilson Milincelli, who runs Flow State Training stuff. So there are people out there who commercialise various approaches and the idea of of NETT is to sort of direct people towards the useful elements of that and separate the the rubbish from the real stuff and and help help guide you through a process overlaying that with traditional scientific and clinical skill sets and understanding what research is and and trying to provide a coherent pathway for the trainer or the therapist or the instructor to actually look at the right places because the age of the internet has created so much unedited and strange information out there. Like you can find the world is flat society on the internet. So again, in answer to your question, I've set up, well, we've set up an ETT for that purpose. 
And again, the idea is try to find people that have some sort of scientific basis for what they're doing, whether it's post hoc decided or whether it's decided as part of it, and, and look at what elements of that are transferable to your skill set. You can't all be Wim Hof, you can't all be Grant Hayes, you can't all be Noam Baldwin. Or, yeah. <laughs> but what you can do is take the better elements of what those people do, apply it to your world, to your client and to yourself and realise that, yeah, I can actually use a cold shower every day to help improve my central nervous system function. I can look at diet and use intermittent fasting because it's an extreme dietary approach, but it's got value. It's nervous system based. I can look at my gut microbiome and that can affect my mood and my capacity to train. So you start to integrate central nervous system, autonomic nervous system and enteric nervous system by understanding they exist and then understanding ways to interfere in those. All right, so let's talk a bit about the extreme environmental interventions. You've yes. obviously mentioned people like Wim Hof and, you know, cold plunge baths, yep. cryotherapy, things like that. So can you tell tell us, for anyone that's not really familiar with what those concepts are, can you tell us a bit about those extreme interventions and, and why you're particularly interested in them? There are three really available extreme interventions to the general population and the sporting population. There's the use of cold, the use of heat, and the use of altitude. I'll talk from a sports perspective because that's where I base my information. In saying that, when I was nine years old, my godfather, who's an old Russian guy, would always say to me, turn your shower on cold for the last minute because you won't get sick. And the Russians have this thing about jumping in frozen lakes and then saunas and rolling around in the snow and whipping themselves. <laughs> so historically, many cultures use extreme heat and extreme cold because over time it was understood that that made you healthier. Wim Hof has taken that to another level. And he's looked at holding every world record that there is to do with cold. But he's got a scientist whose name I think is Colin that's following around from MIT, actually showing that what he discovered is having positive influence on his immune system, on his nervous system, and on his health in general. So scaling it back, you can make it as simple as finishing every shower with a minute of cold or making sure every day you jump in the ocean if you've got the ocean nearby or a cold pool in winter. So exposing yourself to cold is easy and it's very little risk in that. Heat exposure has been well researched. When I was at the Institute of Sport back in Canberra back in the 80s, they had the heat chamber. It was well known that training in heat was a good thing to do before you went to a cold environment because you handled the performance better. And that's partly due with the release of heat shock proteins and other positive elements of heat. However, training in heat regularly carries more risk than training in cold regularly. And so it's understanding what those risk factors are and how you can use heat and use cold for both recovery and performance enhancement. The last element is altitude training. And for a while I was involved in selling altitude training equipment simulated around the world. And there's still some really great things that can be achieved from using altitude as an extreme exposure. And you can get it pretty much anywhere that you live now. Sydney, Brisbane, all the major centres have them. There's some regional centres with altitude chambers. And so exposure to altitude has always been seen as a healthy thing. There's research being done at the Garvin Institute in Sydney on the effects of what's called HIF-1-alpha, hypoxic inducible factor 1, in diabetes and obesity management. Hypoxic inducible factor 1 is released because you're in hypoxia, which is altitude. So health benefits of altitude training and performance benefits of altitude training are significant. So that's the sort of thing that I'm, I've been involved in since, again, back in the 80s with these coaches I was mentioning who are East German and Russian who did a lot of altitude training with their athletes. So I understand that that extreme exposure has great benefit to both performance and to health. I've worked with a type 1 diabetic or two that we've significantly reduced their insulin dependency like by up to 30% 
by doing regular simulated altitude training. And again, that's the Garvin Institute's thrust. And they're the sort of extremes that I feel are accessible and usable, but people need to understand them because you don't ever use any of them and harm someone, but you can use them all well and improve someone. And I think that there's such a thing as a little bit of knowledge being a dangerous thing. So again, for the trainers listening to the podcast, if they were going to go and research or look more into maybe one of those interventions, what do you think would be the best place for them to start? If they were looking at, say, an intersection of performance and health, you know, to meet the needs of the majority of their clients. Other than the NETT website? Yeah. Again, you need to look at the people who have been doing this for a while with some scientific basis. And, and Wim Hof, Nam Baldwin for breathing and cold exposure. There are various organisations and institutions that promote the use of these things. And it's hard to say which is the best website or not, but that's the sort of thing that constructive research is going to be useful for. We're trying to funnel into saying, okay, well, this person has some qualification. They've worked with, they just, they just didn't pop up and say, I've done this myself. Well, that's how Wim Hof started. You know, and, and heat training and cold training and altitude training are well-researched items. So if you use something like Google Scholar or Medline and, and, and go to looking at conventional research tools that have some peer review rather than just banging on the internet and going and finding for, the hype. Yeah, the hype. And it's just and that's the challenge for any trainer. Mm. What's good and what's not. Very little good stuff is for free. You get a certain amount of information, you've got to chase it. And then it comes down to trying to look at someone's experience. Who is the person that you're listening to and who are they and what have they done? I've got a reasonable C V, so hence I have some credibility. So look at this the C V or the, the history of the person you're listening to and see where they come from. That helps you a little bit. And so who has your attention at the moment? Who are you listening to, reading, researching, you know, learning from yourself in any of these areas or other areas of your career? It's a big question and I read diversely. Leo Young and I, Leo's from Synergy, Man of a Thousand Watts. You should Google him. We talk a lot and Leo has time to research a lot of stuff. So there are different forums and areas. I work a lot with a guy called Grant Hayes and I look at Eric Cobb and Z training for guidance and direction in specific exercises. Carrick's very clinical functional neurology side of things. I look a lot at Wim Hof stuff and and he's a mad Dutchman who drinks beer, but he's got some (laughs) pretty good things. Nam Baldwin, as I mentioned before. So they're the sort of people I'm currently having a look at. There is the warrior diet, and I can't remember who the author of that is, but he's an interesting guy to listen to as well. And there are other people whose names are eluding me at the moment that have good history and good publication broadly across this use of extremes and and trying to change the paradigm of training away from reps and sets into a holistic view of the body with the nervous system as the head of that hierarchy. The governor. And of those types of interventions, do you use any of them yourself? On myself personally yeah. or on my clients? Yeah, yourself. Yeah, I live 100 metres from the beach and every day, winter, summer, spring, I go for a swim and catch a wave and often the water's warmer than the air in winter. <laughs> and I use some sympathetic and parasympathetic breathing techniques. I use a form of therapeutic tremor, which is a central nervous system and autonomic balancing system. So I use, I use these elements for my personal health and wellness and I guide clients through using those elements where appropriate as well. When it comes to the cold and the heat exposure, how what's the temperature that someone needs to be thinking about? What's plus, cold enough? Plus 36, or to go heat first, plus mm-hmm. 36, plus 50% humidity mm-hmm. kind of gets an effect. With cold, 
I generally want to hit around that four to six degree mark if you can. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> but you still get a positive benefit with a cold shower, which is like maybe 12 or 16 or 18 degrees, depending on your ambient. So if you're going from 40 degrees, 16 is a big change. If you're at 16, you've got to drop to 10. So it's more the variant in temperature. But absolutes, ice bars down to about four work. Mm. You know, in saying that, there's no hard research about minimums there for cold, but there is about heat. So I'd be saying to people, even if you're using cold shower, it's great. Ice baths are better. Exposure time, two to four minutes. You've got commercial cryotherapy places where you minus 170 for 35 seconds, which is Japanese developed, which is a great tool for modulating inflammation. So there's a lot of stuff available out there. And it's about using it appropriately and saying to your client, look, you've got pain at the moment. You've got this inflammation. Why don't you try some cold stuff for a bit and see if that works? And then if that works well, then just get in the habit of the cold shower or get in the habit of the ice bath or do the block of altitude training for 10 weeks, so how you feel. So there's there's variations in loading that require you understand those things a bit better, but they're all potentially good for you. And I think we're sort of seeing that there's there's a bit more focus and attention on it because of high performers like, you know, Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss and people like that. It's almost sort of bringing those, that extreme environmental intervention into popular culture a little bit more. Do you think that as it continues to gain momentum and more interest that that will bring down the cost of things like cryotherapy or altitude chamber treatments? Cryotherapy is free if you want it to be. Get some ice and jump in a bath. <laughs> so an altitude, simulated altitude equipment is reduced in price by 50% over the, few, over the last few years, and it's becoming more commercially available. You can go to a gym and pay 10 bucks a week to use their altitude chamber now. So that's naturally happening as technology progresses. It's just knowing that some things are free and they're good. There's an app called Breathe to Relax that I give to a lot of my clients, and one of the things I use that app for is say to them, look, breathing is how you control and enter your nervous system. If you have a longer out-breath than an in-breath and you set up your breathe relax that, that way, you are going to be improving your sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system balance. And you can measure this with a HRV monitor and an app called HRV Logger or Ithlete. So you try to educate people that you don't have to pay a lot of money to be able to use things. And there are free interventions out there. And people look at me, they pay me $109 a consult and <laughs> say, you give me a free app. It's like, yeah, well, it's, the, it's what you need. Come back in two weeks when your balance is about it. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're wasting my time treating you in a poor nervous system state. I need to drag you down. You need to look at X, Y, and Z because I look at you. Your pupils are dilated. Mm-hmm. Your palms are sweaty. Your heart rate variability is telling me that you're in a terrible nervous system state. I can't treat you until you improve that. And people sometimes wonder about that. But as a trainer, if you learn to identify the signals of that, and Grant Hayes' website, and he's got some good stuff on, on, on that, so does Cobb and so does Carrick. You know, identify those signals, help the person become generally healthier before you intervene with training, and you'll get a much better training outcome. So, again, yeah, I mean, walking on coals has been around forever as a, as a motivator. So taking people to extremes. We live in a far too comfortable environment. Aircon's regulated, food's regulated, everything's regulated. The human body responds better when it's pushed left and right into extreme heat, into extreme cold, into extreme hypoxia. Those things help the human organism be healthier. The term is eustress, good stress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. If you can create eustress, then you're going to create positive adaptation in the organism. So there's a lot to talk about in 30 minutes, but the concept is that understand these things. Be aware that there are simple applications at any level and educate yourself into the pros and cons. As you say, the little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing and more is not better. You know, they're the two, two paradigms I'd say to trainers, understand and, and don't think more is better because that's the typical failure of most trainers and individuals. 
this helped me. More is going to help me more. <laughs> wow, Victor, that, you've covered so much in such a short time. That's awesome. Where can people find out more about you, the work you're doing? How can they find the NETT website? NETTglobal.com is the website, and that's a good starting point. And as that site evolves, there'll be links to all these people I'm talking about and organisations I'm talking about. So we're trying to make that a focal point rather than the be-all and end-all. We're trying to create a filter for people so that they can go to that one place and find which direction to chase the knowledge that they want to chase, as well as having available specific modules or specific education processes within that site. So it's a work in progress, watch that space, and, and hopefully it'll evolve into something that allows trainers and practitioners of all denominations, this is very agnostic in what we're doing, to help evolve their own practice and evolve their own training understanding using the nervous system as the king of the hierarchy of human function because that's my belief. I think it's fantastic that you are agnostic as such in the approach because, you know, there are a lot of areas in allied health that trainers feel like they can't kind of cross the bridge or learn a little bit more of because it may not sit exactly inside their scope. So I think it's great that, you know, you're providing an opportunity for not just physiotherapists but also yoga teachers and, you know, manual therapists and everyone, right, everyone to come together and, and learn. So that's awesome. Um, Victor, thank you so much. It's been awesome to talk to you. Thanks for being on the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thank you very much. For a huge range of online courses for fitness professionals, including the in-depth corrective exercise trainer course, fully accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to the network website and select the Courses tab. The Corrective Exercise Trainer Specialization includes comprehensive modules on structural assessment, muscles and movement, fundamentals of corrective exercise, and corrective exercise program design. And network members get massive discounts of up to 30% off all courses. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career.